Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 116 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm super pleased that you're here with me today. Today is the annual yearly roundup. And this is the episode that a lot of people like because I talk um, real stuff about real numbers, about what I personally make and how I make my money. So we will get into that. I really like transparency. There is not enough of it in this particular industry. And people need to know if they can make it or not. Um, I believe you can. I believe it takes a lot of hard work and usually uh, two jobs for a long time to get there. But um, I this is I'm going into my third year and I'm still making money. So I wasn't sure that would happen. I really, really wasn't when I quit my day job. So I'm I'm just so grateful every day. I try to practice gratitude because, oh my God, I cannot take this for granted. Um, before we jump into that though, it is January 7th. This podcast is going out a little bit late um, and Friday's podcast will be up on time. So you've got one today and one in another four or five days if you actually listen on time, which apparently a lot of you do. So that's cool. Um, couple of business items. Uh, my podcast webpage has been down, howdoyouwrite.net. I don't know why. My web person is uh, working on it and Pippa is working on it. I host through Pippa and they've been having a lot of problems. So um I still love them, but that's it's a it's a pain. So you can't leave comments there, but you always can leave me an email at rachel at rachelheron.com. It's spelled funny. Look it up. Uh, rachel Heron on Twitter, Rachel Heron on Facebook. Um, you can always grab me or drop me a line anywhere that you would like. And I love, love, love hearing from you guys. Um, what's going on around here? It has been a crazy week and a half or so. Um, if you listen to my other podcast, The Writer's Well with Jay Thorne, uh, we talked about it on there, but I will mention it briefly here that um, I turned up on scene at a car accident that had just occurred the day after Christmas. I mean, it had just occurred seconds before. And um, me and this uh, female doctor that rolled up at the same time ended up doing CPR on this guy for a long time. Um, the nearest fire station was out of service on a call. So it took a long time for them to get to us. And it was bloody and gruesome and awful and terrible. And we did the best we could. And they actually got um, a pulse back when they when the paramedics arrived on scene. So we kept him alive for a while. Um, he just didn't stay alive. So uh, I gave CPR instructions for many, many years, many, many years. Um, I know how to do CPR. I could do it. Like I could, I could tell you how to do it in my sleep. Um, all the verbiage comes back to me and I could actually hear the verbiage in my head as I ran toward this man, you know, place your, the heel of your hand in the center of his chest on his breastbone, right between the nipples, put your other hand on top of that hand, push down firmly two inches. Um, like it all just came, came into my mind like uh, I have a friend who worked for United Airlines and sometimes at parties we would make her <laughs> drunkenly do flight announcements. Um, I've also in the past drunkenly done uh, CPR instructions at parties. Super crowd pleaser, y'all. Uh, so 
it was miserable and um, I felt helpless and useless and it was traumatic. Um, I am considering getting some EMDR therapy for the trauma because uh, I don't, I'm lucky enough. I don't, ha- I don't have a lot of, you know, that kind of trauma in my life. Not good. God forbid. Um, and I have a lot of friends who have gotten a lot of relief from EMDR therapy, which is specifically for trauma. Uh, I am not, I'm not feeling bad when I'm driving like on the freeway, uh, but while I'm driving on surface streets, if there is a person that I can see in the vicinity or a person that I can imagine in the vicinity, I get pretty stressed out. Um, I didn't hit the guy, but I almost, I almost kind of feel like I did, which is the weird thing. I was actually talking to my goddaughter and it slipped out when we were talking. I was saying, I was, wasn't really thinking about my words. And I said, well, when I hit him and then I went on speaking and then I caught myself and then I said, oh my God, when I got there, when I got there. Um, and I don't even know where that comes from. I don't know. Some, I get maybe I'm working this out on air. Sorry about that. Maybe some guilt for not being able to save him for not getting to put all the blood back in his body. Um, so anyway, still dealing with that. I did get a chance to work it out on paper, uh, which was really helpful. And that's the point of me telling you this is that, um, for my last Patreon essay, which went out, um, at the, on the last day of December, I wrote in detail about the accident and about what it meant to me, which is, it's obvious. We all know this, but life is fragile. And life is short and none of us know when it's our time. And of course, we all know this, but it it takes these kind of things to remind us on a gut level that we need to be present and we need to be witnessing our own lives and the lives of those around us and seeing the beauty and catching it and feeling it. I had already been uh, trying to dive. I had already been intending to dive into a year of less spending. Basically, I'm not buying anything that is not a consumable that I have used up. So I can buy food, I can buy medicine and vitamins and um, my particular mascara when it runs out, but I won't buy anything extra. That was kind of a lark up until the end of the year. Um, Then I found out about this idea called the depth year in which you take a year and you don't add anything to your life. This last year when I was doing replenish, I spent a whole year adding to my life to see what would help. Um, and this year I'm not adding anything. I'm just going deep into the things that I already have. I'm reading all the books that I own or that are on my Kindle or that my library can get me. I'm not going to buy any books. I am in the lucky position of uh, living in a, a city where they will buy a lot of library books for me, which is great. I've, although I'm usually on the naughty list because I've asked for too many. Um, I'm not going to buy any clothes, any craft supplies, any notebooks, no classes. I have so many classes I haven't done on my computer on different things. Uh, So I'm going deep and I'm going to spend time really not even trying for mastery. I can't even call it that. Just um, spending time thinking about the things I love and doing the things I love and that I already have and placing great honor upon what I already have been given. Like I'm so freaking lucky. Um, there is no need. I need nothing else. If you look at my room behind me, it's an explosion in here. I need to dig my way out of this office. I have enough yarn and fiber to last me at least a few years. I don't actually keep much 
stash on hand, but I do have a lot of fiber. I could spin a lot of yarn and use it all. So it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, the essay has gotten the biggest, uh, reaction and best reaction of any essay I've ever written. Um, people have written to me very, very wonderful things. So I'm very glad I put that out there. I want to thank new patrons who came in because they wanted to read the CPR essay. And I got to tell you what, it was, it was funny to put out. I'm going to write this essay on what happened to me. If you'd like to read it, spend a dollar. And I've got a slew of people who, who wanted to read the dark and painful essay. Um, so I would like to thank them very quickly. And, uh, I would also sign up if somebody told me that. Oh, oh, dog is about to bark the barkies. Squeak the squeakies. Oh, well, we'll try to work around her. Thank you to Amy Bennett, Pranathi K, the Amanda Files, uh, Beate Weichman, Suzanne Boyd, Audrey, Emily Bonn, uh, Pamela McKinstry, Rachel Debesitis. Hello, Rachel. Uh, Shirley Suzuki, Sarah Diamond, Charlotte Freeman, Lori Lassard, Rainy Nitz edited Upper Pledge. How rad. Um, Joy Young and Susanna Connaughton. Hello, Susanna. Janet Keto or Kito and Nellie, Annie Marjoram, Claire Cowder and Kelia Murphy. So how cool is that? Thank you guys for signing up and for reading and for being a part of the Patreon. Um, we're going to talk about Patreon monies in a little bit here. Um, probably very shortly. What else did I have to tell you before, uh, we move forward? Oh yes. So I wanted to talk about how just year in general, overall, 2018 was one of the best years of my life. It really, really was. It was very, very, very difficult. And you've uh, heard me talk about that here on this show before, but it was difficult in a really excellent way. It wasn't a difficulty because someone was sick or dying. It wasn't that kind of um, year that really is super, super painful. This year was painful in a different way. It was because I realized that I had become an alcoholic in, in the two and a half years that I had, um, uh, like two years that I left my day job, my dangerous drinking, which I had only ever accomplished on the weekends, had gone to a daily thing because I decided when I quit my job that I was 43 and I would never become an alcoholic. Obviously, you can't become an alcoholic after 43. I don't know where I got that in my mind, but it meant I could drink wine every night. And then I drank more wine every night and more wine every night. And on February 20th of this year, I realized that I was just spiritually and emotionally bankrupt. I hadn't lost anything. I hadn't gone off the rails. I hadn't hurt my friends or my family. The only one I was really hurting was myself. Uh, I was the kind of drinker who just liked to drink a lot of wine at night and fall asleep to Netflix. Kind of made myself pass out. It's always, I've always had a hard time sleeping and passing out from alcohol really works. It's wonderful until you wake up at three in the morning and can't get back to sleep. Uh, as the alcohol actually metabolizes in your body so that it wakes you up, which is awesome. So I realized it. <laughs> And I got help immediately. And that help has been terrific. I go to support meetings and it's now 10 and a half months. I, in a month and a half, I will have a full freaking year of not drinking. I cannot actually believe that I have handled things in this year 
that I never, ever could have thought that I would be able to handle um, grief and pain. And uh, even after that CPR thing the other day, it was, it was pretty great. I not pretty great. There was nothing great about it. But I drove home right afterwards. Luckily, my wife was home working from home that day. And she helped me out. And she was holding me when I was crying. And I said, I want to drink. And she said, I think I said this on the other podcast, but she said, do you want me to? And I filled in the blank. And I thought, for some reason, even though I know her, I thought, for some reason, this was as bad as I thought. And she was going to say, do you want me to go buy you a bottle of something? And instead, she said, do you want me to take you to a meeting? Which was freaking perfect. And I said, yes. And she took me to a recovery meeting. And that was what I needed. I just needed to be with my people and to cry it out and to actually have feelings because the reason I drank was to numb everything. Um, I didn't know how to have feelings in this world. I'm still really getting used to it. This first year is crazy. Uh, having a feeling and not being able to escape it with a substance of some kind. I really, really loved alcohol, weed, and sleeping pills. I don't have any of those now. So um, not being able to escape it and sit with it and get through it feels, when you do get through it, it feels like a miracle. And I kind of think it is a miracle. So I wanted just to say thank you to you guys, because a lot of you have been around witnessing this and my change. Um, And honestly, nothing has changed in my work, except that I'm clearer and a little bit smarter, I think. But, you know, I'm writing the same amount. I'm doing the same amount of work. Um, Alcohol really didn't. I never let it get in the way of any of that because I'm a freaking control freak. I'm I'm saying freaking a lot on this show because I'm trying not to swear as much on this show. Uh, But internally, it has been this incredible sea change. Um, It really is a a change from the inside, a real spiritual change. I'm exploring that side of myself. Um, it's been fantastic. It's really one of the best things I ever did. And it's struggling to get out of my sweater here as I go into a hot flash. You guys know everything. Uh, it is something that I literally almost, not almost, I do wish that more people had addictions so that they could recover from them because doing the work of recovery has made me into a better human being and a human being who wants to help more and to be there for other people more. And I feel whole in a way that I had never felt before. That last year, my mission and my Patreon essays were about replenishing, replenishing my creative spirit because I felt so dry. I didn't know that I felt also emotionally, spiritually, soul drained and recovering from addiction filled that. And it was because of the project. It was because I had taken on morning pages every day that I was journaling and that I found these things out. Um, so last year's project changed everything for me. I could have gone on drinking that way and getting heavier for a really long time. I probably could have pulled off um, manageable balance for a couple or five more years, I think. I think my family and friends would have started to notice and I would have really screwed a few things up. I hadn't gotten there yet. Uh, But after that, it would have been an inevitable descent into madness. I couldn't get off the train 
I needed something to take me off of that train and put me on a different, different tracks. And, um, a bunch of things did that. So I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm grateful that I get to write about it. And I'm grateful that I get to talk about it with, uh, with you guys as you're driving. Maybe somebody who's listening is struggling with addiction. Dude, shoot me a line. We can talk, you know, tell me how you're doing. So, uh, last year's difficulty was sobriety and last year's best thing was sobriety. It's the thing I cherish most in my life right now because I know, and I want to keep cherishing it the most because I know without it, I can't have anything else. I can't have health. I can't have my family. I can't have my friends. I would lose all of those things if I had kept up and the disease had kept progressing the way it was so quickly, so quickly. As soon as I took my hands off the reins and said, oh, I can drink every night. It was over. It was over for me. So uh, super interesting, feeling healthy and happy and grateful every day. So let's do money. The people who are here just to hear money, money talk, because it's the annual year of talking money, uh, they just got a whole dose of my reality. So I hope that you enjoyed it. Now, so this is pretty good news, you guys. Last year, I made $71,000, almost seventy-two. This year, I made $84,000. Last year, the 72,000 was 17 more, 17% more than the first year. I can't do math that quickly backwards, but, um, you get the picture. So I made a goal of earning 17% more this year because I thought that was reasonable. I'd done it the year before and it is reasonable. I made a little bit more than 17% more at this $84,000. 17% more than that is $97,000. So that's my goal for 2019. Let's just round up and call it an even $100,000. I would like to have a six-figure year this year, 2019. Uh, I have ideas about ways I would like to make this happen. And, but honestly, I can't look back at last year and go, well, I put in 17% more effort. I didn't, but things were coming to fruition that I had been working on. So, um, but I do believe that setting an intention is a good idea and setting an intention to, you know, make a million dollars in 2019 is probably not the best intention for me because it's not realistic. It's not how I live. It's not how I work. I mean, I do have, um, stolen things, the thriller coming out from Penguin in August. That could be the book that blows up. I could be a millionaire. It also could fizzle out like most, if not all of my other books traditionally published have done. I don't want that to happen, but it's definitely more likely than it racing up the charts and making me a millionaire. So I keep that in mind. 70% growth would be great. I also am super happy with $84,000. That's more than I made some years as a dispatcher when I first started dispatching pays well. Uh, So by the time I left, it was more than six figures a year. So I took that loss when I quit the job. So how did I make that? Well, in terms of writing, I broke it down this year. From my own writing, I made $64,650. If you're watching on the video, you can see, you might be able to hear it in my voice. That's just a freaking huge grin. I made 64000 just from writing last year. Uh, last year, writing brought me $45,000, which is also amazing. But this year, writing brought me $64,000. Let's call it $65,000 because you can round up from $650. So it's $65,000. I made from 
and I'll break this down right here. From Audible, I made $1,657. That is not as much as I would like, um, but I'm not pimping those at all. Most of it is the Audible, Audible, the audio book for Fast Drafter Memoir, which came out last year. Um, that has sold pretty well in audio for me. And what I'm proud of is that it has fantastic reviews. People liked the way I read the audiobook. So that is wonderful. And I'm looking into doing more of my books that way, especially my memoir, uh, uh, A Life in Stitches, which came out in 2010. And I was just looking at my contract. They never sold the audio rights. Um, my publisher didn't. And I think I own them. I think I owned them anyway. I think they were trying to sell them for me, but I think I still own them. And that's nonfiction. That's uh, in my wheelhouse to read out loud. So I think I'm going to do that this year. From books, I made just straight up books, ebook and print. I made $42,000. So broken down, that is $21,000 from New York publishing, uh, from traditional publishing is what I mean by New York through publishers, through my agent. That is <laughs> that is up a lot from the $2,600 I made last year from New York. So $21,000 from New York this year, and that's mostly about uh, selling my new book. Uh, from self-publishing, I made $21,000, also $21,000. They're both $21,000, very even, 50-50 split. And that is down from last year's $29,000. And for that, I blame two things. I blame that the um, that the market is down is down in general across the board for books being sold right now, and also I put in literally zero marketing. So for zero marketing money spent, I didn't take out a Facebook ad. I didn't do an AMS ad. Oh, I think I paid a company to do some AMS ads, but I I fired them shortly thereafter. Uh, I did no marketing except email newsletter when Fast Draft Your Memoir came out. A couple of email newsletters, I think. So $21,000 with doing no work is not bad for me. Uh, I'm going to work on that more this year. I want to do more AMS ads. I know that the market is changing. If you listen to other podcasts like the Creative Pen, you know that Amazon is turning into more of a pay-to-play market. So you kind of do need to do ads there in order to be seen. It used to be more organic. They're taking that organicness away, just like Facebook did with ads. Uh, reiterating, of course, that you want to build your email newsletter list as soon as possible after your first book comes out. Don't stress about it before your first book comes out. But after your first book comes out, start working on that email newsletter because that is the only thing that you can really own in this industry. You can be sure of nothing but that. So those emails are sacrosanct. I really believe that. So $42,000 on books. Um, from magazine writing, I made $17.50, had a few articles out. And from Patreon, God bless Patreon, let's light up the sky and sing a song. Uh, $19,501. I don't know where that $1 came from. But so, uh, well, that makes me able to round it up to $20,000 while we're talking. So basically, I made $20,000 um, from New York. Uh, New York Publishing, self-publishing, and Patreon, uh, and then plus the Audible and the magazine money adds up to about $65,000. Patreon has been so wonderful to me. I make about $1,600 a month, I think, on writing those essays. And like I've talked about ad nauseum on the show, I put my all into those. That is some of the best writing I've ever done are those essays. Because 
I'm getting $1,600 a month to write them. That is no joke to me. At the end of the year, I've earned myself an advance of $20,000. And now I'm actually in the process of editing the first two books that I that I wrote in Patreon. And then I'm going to be giving to my agent and seeing what happens with them. I may self-publish them. I don't know yet. But it doesn't really matter because I've already made $20,000 on them. This is a bigger advance than I usually get on any book. So anything else I get, I'm going to treat like free money. It's not free money, but I'm going to let myself feel that it is. So that is super exciting. What else did I make money on this year? That's the book portion. Um, the rest of it came from, let's see, we got all the books. Coaching. I made about $9,000 on coaching. I coach on basically one-offs right now. I call them tune-ups. You can have a tune-up just talking to me or a tune-up with a critique of 2,500 words. And you can find information on that at rachelherron.com slash coach. And, uh, because I, I pretty much let all my long-term clients go. They all graduated out of the system. I've just kept one because I need to keep her and I love her. I don't want to stop working with her. So I'm selfish that way. And I look forward to working with her, but otherwise I get really excited about these one-offs because then I get to help people and they get good to go do their work. I get to spur them into doing their work and we don't talk every week. We talk just when they need it. So that works very, very well. Uh, queries. Oh, I have that query letter, little side hustle right now. I made $700 on that last year. Um, so that's at rachelherron.com slash query. And I will fix your query for you for a hundred bucks. There you go. Speaking. I made about $2,000 at different conferences and events and teaching. I made $8,000. So, um, between teaching at Berkeley online and at Stanford in person, I made $8,000 from that. So that all adds up to $84,000, $84,128. Those are my numbers. I don't plan on changing anything this year in terms of what I'm doing. I will do a little bit less teaching because uh, this last fall and the fall before it, I taught two classes in the fall, not one at Berkeley and one at Stanford. And with writing, that is just too much work. And I got very fried. I cannot grade 60,000 words <laughs> a week and be writing my own words. So I'm if Stanford will have me, I'll just be teaching my memoir class again there because I love teaching that one. But other than that, I'm going to keep up doing everything that I'm doing now. I'm going to work on building up more Patreon subscribers. Um, that's a, that's a reliable income, especially when you get a lot of $1 pledges, because then if you lose a hundred dollar pledge, um, that is another level at which I do coaching monthly. I do do it monthly there, um, with, at, on Patreon. But if I lose one of those, that's a big hit. Whereas if I have a lot of $1 and they come in and go and people's cards change or they change their mind or their circumstances change, it doesn't hurt so much. So um, I'm going to be working on getting those $1 pledges and writing more articles. I'm going to keep coaching and I'm going to be looking very realistically at my time. I talked last week about uh, just looking at a calendar and plotting out the days I will not be able to work because I'm either traveling or it's a weekend. Um, I'm giving myself three what I call migraine days a month, which I shouldn't call them migraine days, I, but they often turn into migraine days where I just can't work because of a migraine. And I got to tell you, yesterday was Sunday and I 
never do this, but I took kind of like a sick day, but I wasn't sick. And very purposefully, I stayed in bed all day and I read and I napped and I looked at Twitter and I read a book and a half. At the end of the day, my wife had made this incredible dinner that she'd spent two and a half hours making. So I basically lounged all day and then ate a great dinner and went back to bed and went to sleep. And it was mind-blowingly awesome. So I want to build in some mental health days, and those are included. So let's call them mental health days. I have three mental health days a month where I just don't write for whatever reason, if I'm recovering from something or recovering from migraine, or if I get a migraine, or if I just want to take a damn day off, I'm building three of those in. But so when you look at your calendar for months ahead of time, and you see that you really don't have that many days to write. And a lot of you, most of you listening probably work day jobs too. So you look at the days where you can get a thousand words written or 2000 words written. written. You want to know where those are so that you don't fall into the trap that I do, which is like, well, I should be able to write a book in two months. I could write a book in two months if I was writing every day and I'm not writing every day. I, that just doesn't happen in my life. There are too many things going on. Um, I write most days, but not every day. So looking at that very realistically and understanding how my time works is giving me a really good idea of where I can be and where I should be and not my normal hopefulness where I hope to do way more than I can. I'm really getting a better handle on what I'm able to do in a week, in a month, in three months, in six months. I have always overestimated what I can do. And I think most of us do this. We overestimate we can what we can do in a certain amount of time. There's a famous quote that I'm going to get wrong, but it says something like we all overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. And I think it's really, really true. So I'm trying to be a lot more realistic about that. And with this realism comes a greater motivation to do the work in the time that I have, because I know that I have less time than I thought. So I must do the things I put on my calendar. For example, by the end of January, I want to have um, both of those nonfiction books done and dusted and sent to my agent off of my desk. I haven't looked at them at all in the last two years that I've been writing them, except to refer back to them to see if I've already, you know, said this, made this analogy or told this vignette. So uh, that's my goal for January. And then in February, I'm starting to write the next thriller. And then I've got some other things that are, that are in the works, but that's how it's working for me right now. And I'm trying to look at it with open eyes and acceptance that I can do this. It's not bad that I'm going slower than I want to be because I'm still going pretty damn fast. And I like pretty damn fast. Other than that, I just want to say that if you're just starting out, these seem like big numbers. I'm not just starting out and these still seem like big numbers. Flip side of that is you may also feel very disappointed. I've been at this since 2000. I got my agent in 2008. So that's kind of when I I already had a book completed, but um, that's when I figured that my career started. So 10 years ago, just 10 years ago. But you may be sitting in your car listening to me thinking, geez, 10 years, 24 books, 14 of them self-published. Why isn't she, you know, making multiple six figures a year? I don't know, dude. The business is hard. So you might be disappointed from this. Uh, I don't 
think you should be, though. I think that this proves that um, if you write and you write good books and you get them out on a regular basis, you don't even need to do advertising to make $20,000. Um, oh, gosh, there might be people listening to this who make that in a month on self-publishing. But I'm happy with where I am. And you need to know what <laughs> the cat is agreeing with me. You need to know what you will be happy with and what you need to earn. I knew when I quit my job that with my wife's income, I needed to bring in, I think it was $36,000 a year. I know it was in the 30s. I think it was 36 in order to make ends meet and to buy nothing extra at all. So I didn't quit my day job until my writing had brought in reliably $36,000 for a couple of years. Uh, it would have been even better to have pushed myself further and gotten more money in the bank, but I didn't do that. I took the leap and it has worked so far. I do not know if I'm going to be able to say this next year, right? I am not, I am not against having to take a part-time time job if I need to take a full-time job. I know that these eventualities happen, that, that shit happens. I know that. Um, I have one of my best friends who is a full-time writer, more books than I have, bigger deals than I've ever had, had to work at the container store a couple of years ago. And she worked with her whole heart and she worked joyously because she still got to be a writer when she wasn't at the container store. Um, I do not want to work at the container store PS because I love organization things and I would not take a paycheck home. So I can't work at the container store, but Trader Joe's, I always talk about Trader Joe's. That's my next job. If I need a job, if they will have me because they all look so happy there and I like groceries and I like people. So I know that that could happen. I hope it doesn't. I hope that this time next year, I'm sitting here talking to you about my millionaire status. No, honestly, I do hope, um, seriously, that I am talking to you about my six figure status as a self-employed writer. That would be dope. I would really, really like that. Uh, so I'm going to work toward that. That's a reasonable goal for me in my place. I'm going to try to make 17% more next year. It's better than you'll get from a bank, right? So there's my update. Thanks so much for listening to it. I know this was kind of a long and emotional one, but that's where I am this year. And I'm very, 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 very excited about 2019. I'm excited about what I'm going to write. And I'm also excited about hearing what you're going to write. I want to hear from you guys. Tell me what you're working on. Tell me what you're struggling with this year. Tell me where I can help you with this podcast and with my writer's newsletter to you. Um, tell me what you need from me or what you want, because I am your gal. Like we're in this together. I really consider this a partnership that you're my friends, that you're honoring me by spending time with my voice in your ear. Um, that just makes my heart so, so happy. And so I'm so grateful to you guys for being there. So keep in touch. Happy new year. And we'll talk again in like, you know, four days when the next podcast comes out. Thank you for being here with me this year, you guys. Onward. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>